We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Baker Mayfield trade to the Carolina Panthers. Fallout for the Panthers, for the Seahawks, maybe some other teams. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen. You can find my newsletter bengreshatslipsack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. Sean, my vacations are finally over. I'm back. It's early July, but I, I have nothing else on the schedule except fantasy football until December. And I'm very excited about it. So you're, you're all refreshed, all recharged, and ready to roll through these next six months. Yes, I absolutely am. I am raring to get going. Like I'm I'm feeling like I, I just want to be so deep. I'm, I mean, I'm already into my projections. I'm already doing a lot of stuff, but I'm, I'm very much feeling the itch. I'm seeing the tweets. I'm seeing other people that, you know, I get a little competitive. You know, I see other people that are maybe a little further in their off-season work than I where I want to be for myself. And so then I'm like, I got to I got to step this up. I got to hurry up. Well, that, that just gets me excited. We're going to, you've been crushing. Well, that's nice of you to say. We, we try and put out lots of great content over there at Rotoviz. Michael Dudenberg, Connor O'Driscoll doing a fantastic job. Blair's going to have some new great stuff out. But yeah, we're excited. I mean, this is, this is the time and I'm excited because it sounds like ceiling signals is about to really catch fire. Then we had, some developments while you were gone which is that the carolina panthers after having seen sam darnold and, and matt corral again here for a little bit have decided to go in a different direction yeah and it's funny like we like to talk about the team perspective stuff you know the the big thing for people who were watching me try to formulate my thoughts on the seahawks my big overarching point on why it was so dumb that they didn't take a rookie quarterback in a class where the quarterbacks really got pushed down and you could have used a pretty limited amount of draft capital to get this opportunity was 2022 looks like a lost season for you anyway. So why not try to find out if you can hit on something, right? Hit on Sam Howell or hit on whoever, give it a year, then just go to 2023 and go to a new quarterback if you have to. But don't just waste this year not seeing if there's something at quarterback. I think for the Panthers, it's pretty clearly the same thing where, yeah, maybe they've already decided Matt Corral's not the guy, I don't know, really quickly in minicamp. And they didn't seem to like, you know, the early reports weren't great that he wasn't reading the field very well. He did a lot of RPO stuff in college. That was sort of one of the big knocks on him was that he didn't do a lot of progressions in college, you know, getting through progressions and more NFL-type quarterback play. And yet – 
for them from a team perspective, it, I think it makes way, 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 way more sense to be trying to see if they have something in this draft pick and letting Matt Corral play and go through the bumps and bruises and see if he can develop a little bit. At the same time, maybe Baker Mayfield ends up being a long-term solution for them. Who knows? But they, they seem to have acquired this stopgap for now, at least, from a team perspective. Probably not great. They'll probably end up being you know now better, but not good enough. So now you're not getting a high draft pick. You're going to be 8-9 or something. Congrats. Maybe not even that good. But for the players on the Panthers, I'm pretty excited. I mean, obviously, we get to talk about DJ more today, so it's an exciting day for me regardless. His ADP has already started to rise. A lot of optimism even about Robbie Anderson right away. More discussion about Christian McCaffrey potentially being the 101 that I've seen in the last couple of days. Not feeling like a lot of people think there are any losers here. This is just a bump to the Panthers' projections. Although we we do keep hearing a little bit about the Seahawks, which I mentioned in the introduction. Maybe if there is a loser, it is in Seattle, where I think you had, had felt that Baker would probably wind up there, right? I did, in part because of what you're always telling me, which is that if you have the oldest coach in the NFL that you need to be playing for now. And one of the things that has come out of this is that the Seahawks didn't have a very good plan. And they keep changing what the plan supposedly is in order to fit the narrative that will now work basically reactively trying to fit that after the things that they've done have made no sense and not worked out. You mentioned what this does for the Panthers, right? Wait, wait, can we talk about the Seahawks for a minute? Because when they made the first trade, I, one of my things was I thought you were too optimistic that their plan would actually go the way that like you were right. Probably that there are ways this could have went well, but I, I'm pretty sure my take was that that that's not how the Seahawks operate. So I'm going to take the win here. <laughs> yes, and not, and I'm I'm knocking equipment over and and yeah. So then you come around to the Seahawks don't know what they're doing is what we're saying. Well, it was never a thing where I felt like they knew what they were doing. All you have to do is look at their play calls over the last decade, and you know that they don't know what they're doing. But I thought that even within that context, if you make a trade that in terms of the actual value was a pretty good trade, then you can stumble into lots of things working out. But then when you turn around and draft a running back early when you arguably have one of the top six or seven backs already in the NFL. I mean, it doesn't make sense regardless. I mean, the the New England Patriots have not spent a lot at the position. They spent somewhat weirdly, but they've used the picks that aren't that valuable to build this great running back depth chart to where Pierre Strong, maybe one of the top 20 backs in the NFL, is not even going to play this year, right? You do that inexpensively. What the Seahawks have done obviously makes no sense, but then to make the trade with Russell Wilson and to neither go after a strong veteran nor draft a lottery ticket rookie doesn't make sense. And you contrast that with what the Panthers have done. And the Panthers kind of get to play this both ways, although the NFL does have some similar elements to dynasty leagues where you do want to either be at the top or the bottom. Being in the middle, all it does is really keep the coach employed for another year, perhaps. And you can kind of see the difference here, I think, in terms of where the coach and the general managers sort of feel that they are because they've approached this slightly differently based on who actually needs to win in 2022 in order to keep their jobs. The Panthers are saying, we can't wait on Matt Corral. He's not close enough. They've said some nice things about elements of his game, but he's not going to be ready to play and win in 2022 based on what they've seen from him early. Now, one of the things that we know from rookies is that rookies can turn it around quickly, but a quarterback is just responsible for so many things that to expect 
this big type of turnaround, you know, sometimes that part of it just isn't realistic. Now, teams have handicapped themselves in the past by not quickly going to superstars. You think about Deshaun Watson not playing in the first month. You think about Patrick Mahomes not playing in the first year. Perhaps the Kansas City Chiefs have another Super Bowl title if they allow him to play. So there are situations in which teams actually do wait too long, probably. And yet the Panthers now have a situation where they're probably going to be at least moderately successful in 2022 with Baker Mayfield because he's and we'll talk about more in depth about this, but he's sort of at that bottom level of startable NFL QBs. And that helps a team like the Panthers. That's a, probably a pretty talented team overall, at least has some good things going for them, but they have been absolutely crushed by their quarterback play. But you still have that lottery ticket for the future, right? I mean, Baker Mayfield goes, plays, okay, and they finish seven and 10 or eight or nine. Like you said, the coaches survive and Corral is then potentially ready you have that option. The Seahawks haven't done either thing, right? And now they're in this situation where they're going to lose. They don't have anybody to look at. They made the comment after the draft that what was the point of having Sam Howell come in and just be the third stringer learning behind Geno Smith and Drew Locke. And now they're saying that the whole point to this season is to tank and try and get one of the stars from next year. Well, if you were going to tank, why wouldn't you have just played Sam Howell anyway? Right, right. That is true. But if being in the middle is bad in Seattle's defense, maybe I, I, I need to cop to, to being wrong here too. Maybe this is an evil genius plan where you're going to play Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Let the old coach have one final year, fire him at the end of the year. Cause you're going to go four and 15 or whatever. I can't, I can't do the math on how many games there are in the NFL anymore. Four and 13. And then you get the top pick next year and you draft the, the best quarterback in the 2023 draft. I mean, maybe they're evil geniuses. My other concern about this is I've been very confident that Geno Smith was going to be the starting quarterback because he's so much better than Drew Locke. But if you're playing for the first overall pick, Drew Locke has got to be your choice, right? I mean, you're not going yeah. to win games with him. <laughs> yes, we got to get Drew Locke throwing some YOLO balls out there. But let's talk about the Panthers. Baker Mayfield is there. Um, I know you've been doing some great research and some looks into some things. I was optimistic about this for dj Moore immediately you showed me some interesting things right before we jumped on we'll be excited to talk about those one thing i've talked about on the show dating back to last year was an article i read over at the ringer right when the Odo beckham stuff in cleveland blew up and and beckham eventually was released it was written by stephen ruiz great look at essentially how maybe baker mayfield and Odo beckham weren't particularly compatible specifically in the, between the second and third layers of the defense, kind of the deep intermediate part of the field, where because Baker Mayfield tends to be a pretty aggressive throw, throw the ball pretty hard, there's some touch required on those throws. He wasn't very good in that range throwing to anyone. And that's where Beckham ran a lot of his routes into these you know these deep digs and, and posts and, and some seam routes. Baker has thrown well over the top of the third you know, over the top of the safeties at times. We've seen some some big long touchdowns from Donovan Peoples Jones and some of those, you know, big plays in this in, in the Browns offense over the years. But that was always really interesting to me. I thought it was a really good look at depth of you know of throw and and Steven, I just went and pulled that up, makes a really great point in it that pretty much very very few quarterbacks can make all the throws. Like, you know, that's a very popular framing, but that's not a, a, a particularly easy thing to do necessarily and maybe that's just an area that baker doesn't throw a ton to so my immediate response was this has to be good for dj more than because baker's had some success and he's then what he's got to be pretty good 
in the shorter area of the field, but you had a, a little bit of a word of caution for me on that. Well, partly we're dealing with some injuries last season, right? But Mayfield basically doesn't throw that successfully to any area of the field other <laughs> than the deep middle. And that's a good area to throw well too, because you get some big plays there. And it's actually an area where in very limited targets, the DJ Moore has also done well. And you would expect to have better adjusted yard per attempt numbers on some of these deep passes. But Mayfield's over 14.6 in the last four years. Throwing to the deep middle, that's 60 targets. He's not been great to the deep left. He's not been great to the deep right. That's where more of the deep targets go. But then the other real issue here is that under 15 yards, he's just been bad, right? You have 6.2 AYA to the left under six. He's a, he's a 5.7, just right over the middle there. And then 6.6 out to the right. We're talking about you know, over 1,300 targets to those spots. So it's not on a tiny sample. And I think that, you know, when we think about how those throws work for him, you mentioned that he's got the arm strength, but it's really arm strength that only plays well when he's throwing the vertical ball straight, when he's not having to get the ball out to the sidelines and make that type of a throw, his arm strength suffers in those situations. And he's not great over the middle. Now that was exaggerated some, and it was certainly exaggerated in that week 17 game last year where basically every ball is getting batted down. But similar things to what we see with Kyler Murray and some of the other quarterbacks that do struggle a little bit with height, you know, he's he's not making those passes particularly well. So I do have some concerns about how he's going to fit with a variety of their weapons. And I think that while he brings competency to the position and we think about how he finished the second half of 2020 with a nice run to finish that season when he's healthy, this is going to require some expert scheming by the Panthers staff. And that's also been controversial over the past several years. They fire an offensive coordinator. There are some disconnects between the head coach and the coordinators in terms of what they want to do. They've gotten very, very conservative when the quarterback play hasn't been there. And there's this possibility for that to be the case again this season this is, doesn't come as a huge surprise when you talk about the numbers that we just went through, but you pull up the advanced stat tool and look at some of the, the different elements. And because we, we've got all kinds of great information from sports info solutions pulled into there, you can look at 2019, you can look at 2020, you can look at 2021 and Baker Mayfield comes in sort of at the very bottom of the NFL. When you're looking at like true starters, guys who've thrown 350 or more passes in each year. And in fact, uh, 2019 and 2020, the guy who he's like right above in terms of catchable passes and on target passes is Sam Darnold. And so, you know, when you think about some of those Robbie Anderson tweets where he didn't want Baker Mayfield as the QB, and I mean, he said that those were in jest. But when he's had to deal with some of the quarterback plays dealt with recently, you can understand why someone who has statistics that fit a lot of those same categories, when you're not throwing catchable passes, when you're not hitting your guys, you know, in stride when they're not on target, that's very frustrating for the wide receivers. And then there are just limitations too, because of Baker Mayfield's physicality or lack thereof compared to some of the other starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. And the first numbers you gave were from the great AYA app at Rotoviz. some awesome tools to break down this stuff. Obviously Rotoviz just 
loaded with tools. Always be looking at those things. It's really interesting as well, as you were saying that about his on-target percentage, his catchable target percentage, as well to think about how the Browns have operated because they've been a very run-first offense and a successful running team, the type of team that tends to improve the efficiency of the quarterback. In some cases, you're talking about, you know, I mean, certainly there's a lot of play action that can come off of that. Some of Baker's bombs that we have seen, the deep balls have been off these play action rollouts after they've gotten Nick Chubb going, started to suck in the linebackers, maybe move the safeties up a little bit, even into the box. And then you can go play action over the top to a speedster like a Donovan Peoples-Jones where he, he has hit him some. It's not ideal when you have, you know, coming from an offense that also is designed to try to create easier throws, basically, to try to force the defense to respect the run. And then he's throwing from, you know, clean pockets. They've had a good offensive line. I mean, there's a lot of elements there that you say those stats, you say things like catchable targets and on target percentage, maybe for a quarterback that's throwing on the, on the run a lot, that's throwing under pressure a lot. You can make a lot of, you know, adjustments or try to try to think through that. But that was the other thing I was thinking. It was like, if he's good, he should be able to to do it in, in this Browns offense. And he hasn't. And so that's concerning. DJ Moore is now rising. I've seen him go in the middle of the third round. It seems like we're headed towards that type of a price. Told you before the show, get ready for a lot of DJ Moore in drafts the rest of the summer. I want to take him everywhere. This will be the best quarterback he's ever played with. He's shown an ability to, to succeed at all depths. That's why I was so in on him last year. I still want to take him. I don't care what you just said. But where are you at on DJ Ward? Especially if he lands in the middle of the third. Let's put it that way. It's going to be tricky there, right? Because you are going to still be dealing with some efficiency elements. But when we look at the last couple of seasons, if you look at drawing targets, if you look at target depth, and so you have a combination there that gives you air yards, you look at something even like yards per target within the context of how poor the quarterback play has been. And DJ Moore is right outside that sort of top five group. And so you're obviously not going to have him up there with the big three. You're not going to have him in the second round. But after that, you have to consider him because he has that combination that you just talked about where you have the before the target, he's also elite in terms of running with the ball in his hands. He can do all of the different depths, the different routes. And there are now ways that they can scheme this offense. And you talk about how the Browns have the good offensive line play. They try and make you respect the run. The Panthers have added Deontay Foreman to get that sort of big back in there. Still, I think, you know, ideally they would use Chuba successfully in, in some way, shape or form as a breather back but they're going to probably try and make the defense respect. And when you have Christian McCaffrey, that's going to be a little bit easier to do. Now, the best way to use McCaffrey would be on these sort of short over the middle uh, types of routes where you know, Jarvis Landry would also tell you it's not just Odell Beckham, <laughs> that you know, maybe Baker Mayfield doesn't thrive on some of those plays. If the scheme is what it needs to be, one of the things that you see is you look at the catchable, you look at the on target, but then you contrast that with his air yard conversion and Mayfield's actual numbers which you know, is what we care about, were better than some of the peripherals. And some of that has to do with the scheme that you talked about. Some of that has to do with the fact that he's actually hit on some of these deep passes. You think about how the deep passes can skew things. And we look at Marquise Brown's numbers in a variety of different contexts. And we look at whether or not we want to draft him. We're like, well, just, I mean, he hasn't been as good as you would expect. 
if you add on three or four of those deep targets, several of which were in the end zone that Brown dropped, suddenly he looks like a superstar. The flip side is a little bit true with Baker Mayfield here. If some of those deep bombs don't connect, then he looks really bad. And so we have to be aware of that. And at the same time, we have to be also give him credit for the fact that he probably can make this offense work if the Panthers are moving the ball at all, which is something they didn't do in 2021, that should elevate both players. And so, you know, I look at these guys and there's not a lot of room for Christian McCaffrey to grow where, you know, he's in that kind of 103 range, but you can go back to the 101. And I, I've been fortunate enough to be able to do a couple of RV Triflex dynasty leagues in the past couple of weeks, some startups and drafted Christian McCaffrey in both of them. One, we actually drafted him very early. The second one, you know, he falls into the third round, which I think is kind of insane when you look at how dynasty works and how it's even more of a, I mean, you talk about the dead zone for running backs in dynasty and it's basically everybody after the first five guys. I mean, if you can get like two of the top 10 backs and ideally at least one of them young, but you have Christian McCaffrey up there. You think about all of the value that drafters are burning when they use picks between rounds six and 12 on running backs, the fact that you can get Christian McCaffrey in that range and has this Marshall Falk type of upside, even with all of the issues and even with all of the red flags with Baker Mayfield, I think that now you can really dream about that again. And you have three very clear cut stars at the top. And despite my preference for the wide receivers and my note that when you pull up the range of outcomes tool and you see Cooper Cup and who are his comps and they're all those that big run of seasons by Antonio Brown. And I think you can very easily justify taking him there. You know, probably still makes sense to have McCaffrey and Taylor as, as the top two guys on the board. Yeah, I, as you were saying that, I mean, it's maybe a little concerning when we talk about these on target throws and all of these things in terms of McCaffrey's receiving. And yet, to your point, we're sort of saying Mayfield's been so bad that he's only been slightly better than Sam Darnold. And none of the other quarterbacks that McCaffrey has played with have been, I mean, it's been the same issue as DJ Moore. I just said it's the, the best QB DJ Moore's ever played with. It will be a slight improvement, probably. Uh, it's just that it might not be as much of an improvement as it seems some of the initial reaction is indicating. But McCaffrey has been what he's been, even with quarterbacks that can't make on-target short throws. And so... I mean, Cam Newton is not a great underneath pass. Right. No, he's throwing 90 miles an hour at guys underneath. Who's the other guy they had for that one year? Kyle Allen or something? I mean, he wasn't very efficient. I think he was better underneath. He was really bad down the field. But it's never been like quarterback has created Christian McCaffrey. So I'm certainly not saying, oh, these these on-target things as it relates to, to Baker Mayfield. You can definitely see Christian McCaffrey running his little option route and being wide open five yards over the middle, and Baker still can't make that throw for some reason. But then we've also seen that happen to McCaffrey before, and he's still been very, very good. So I'm still willing to bet on him, and, and I, I like what you were saying there. Um, happy to hear you've been taking him dynasty as well because I took him earlier in the offseason. But, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that can just get open at will, even out of the backfield when, you know, there should be linebackers and people around. He's creating space. And so very comfortable with this being a boost to McCaffrey or for the people who needed a boost to McCaffrey, basically, is the way I would put it, because I was already feeling very comfortable with 
McCaffrey and that and that ceiling and that type of elite upside. I loved your comments on the dynasty as well, how it's sort of all a dead zone after these elite, you know, potentially elite court, uh, running backs. And, and McCaffrey, we know, has that Marshall Falk type potential. Maybe his best days are behind him, but he could still have a better season than he's had to, to date. And that's another way of, of framing it, especially over the last couple of years where he's been banged up. So McCaffrey sort of locked into the top three now. DJ Moore, you're a little concerned about in the third round. Hopefully the market agrees and he slips back towards a 3-4 turn at some point. I'm going to have to come up with some creative arguments to get you to want to take him over some of the other receivers that are available in the third round. Robbie Anderson, any interest in him later in drafts? I mean, I'm kind of okay with that idea because there's not really a lot of depth at wide receiver there or pass catchers generally. Other than obviously McCaffrey and DJ Moore, there's some contingency based upside if either of those guys miss some time. Robbie Anderson's 2021 was terrible, and that's why the market has reacted how it has. But he still has a pretty nice contract. We should expect him to play quite a bit. Terrace Marshall did nothing as their you know big receiver addition last year. Is he somebody that you'd consider late? Yeah, and have been drafting him uh, not a lot, but a decent amount in round 17 round 18 that type of range you talk about his season last year and it's almost unfathomable kind of where where he was with that where his yards per target drops to 4.8 his racer is down there uh at 0.45 we were concerned about the way that he was deployed or the contrast between the way moore and anderson were deployed in 2020 where dj moore was the deep guy and robbie anderson not exactly underneath, but below 10 yards in terms of air yards per target. Not exactly the way he's been used before. He jumped back up to 10.6 last year. That's still not using him as a deep threat, but they essentially went away from those passes. I think he's someone where we talk about a field stretcher and what Mayfield potentially does well. I think you could see some deep shots. If they hit, then you're golden, especially in best ball leagues. But at the very least, I think that allows the offense there to clear some space for DJ Moore and you talked about Terrace Marshall and he's someone where you wouldn't think that Robbie Anderson at 4.8 could have someone go underneath him in terms of yards per target on the team but Marshall did at 4.6 Marshall obviously also not demanding any targets not getting any target share there the interesting player I think in this group could end up being Tommy Tremble who is just a big extremely athletic player not even exactly a receiver although he caught 20 of his 36 targets last year but was used around the goal line vulturing some of these potential uh, touchdown runs probably won't be used nearly as much in that role if christian mccaffrey is back and healthy but if you're looking at a kind of a, a deeper breakout guy someone you might draft uh, in leagues that go to you know round 24 or dynasty leagues that go beyond 20 i think that he's interesting as a breakout candidate who actually played moderately well last year within the context of how bad this offense was and because he didn't come in as a big name either i mean he's very very much under the radar so if you're looking for sleepers you could look at his name where are you on anderson here after he's been used in such a strange fashion the past two years obviously some discontent you know he mentions that he might retire and then he says well obviously i'm not really going to retire but frustration with how this has gone we even heard that he might have been in some ways responsible for 
the offensive coordinator getting fired and not to put that on him obviously that's not what happened but that he wasn't excited about the previous coordinator he's maybe not excited with the direction they're going in terms of baker mayfield he's someone i've always liked thought that if he got into the right situation he could thrive but it just doesn't seem like it's going to actually ever happen for him where he'll have the type of qb that he can go out there and have one of these big seasons and you know close out his career on this sort of high note i think you said that well the one little thing to think about or add is if baker is good at these deep shots i mean that would seem to jive with with robbie anderson pretty well right if he's running some downfield routes maybe you get you hit on a few long touchdowns and i mean for people who are doing best ball drafts and those types of things if you're building stacks if you're doing different i mean you can definitely at, at anderson's price just sort of be playing for maybe three or four long touchdowns throughout the course of the season in best ball and then there's maybe some upside that he gets back to what he did in 2020 in terms of target share and in terms of really being a pretty big part of the offense the other guy though that i wanted to mention as you were talking about tommy tremble i went to look at their depth chart after i made the comment they don't really have anyone else i forgot that they had brought in rashad rashad higgins who was a baker mayfield favorite so there's another little sleeper if terrace marshall's nothing rashad higgins could he's not bad he could be the third receiver in three wide receiver sets yeah i don't want to get you too excited here but if you make the minimum number of targets just enough so that Donovan Peoples-Jones, who you mentioned, has had these long connections with Baker Mayfield, so you take him out of it, you go up to you know 70-plus targets from Baker Mayfield. Uh, Richard Higgins, 9.8 adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, we have Njoku at 8.1. Then you drop into to running backs, right? It's never a good sign when you're getting running backs in this range where you have Kareem Hunt, 7.3, Nick Chubb, 6.6. A little bit of a feel for why Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham are not huge fans. 6.5 for Jarvis Landry, 6.2 for Odell Beckham. Uh, fewer adjusted yards per attempt for them than Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Yeah, not ideal with how it worked out with them, but... Higgins, hi, like you said, maybe an interesting guy to tack on at the end of your Panthers stacks in best ball. I almost choked when I said that. But that brings us back to this idea of Baker Mayfield. Where would you be drafting him now? He was someone that Colum and I, we did a FFPC Superflex draft last week. We employed a, a similar strategy to the one that you and I used where we went for the late quarterbacks. We started out with Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase and then drafted running backs and people felt like we had lost all connection to reality but one of the quarterbacks we drafted late was baker mayfield sort of with this in mind although we were kind of thinking dk metcalf tyler lockett noah fant mayfield somebody who if you're in super flex best ball or you are going with a draft and you're not able to hit the two qbs in the window or opt not to for some reason I mean, he's going to rise because he was being drafted even when he didn't have a team. But I can't imagine he's going to rise into a range where you wouldn't still consider him. Although, based on some of the things we've talked about, maybe you shouldn't consider him. Where, where are you in terms of drafting him for best ball now? Yeah, I think sort of your last point that maybe still shouldn't consider him. I, I, I think he probably still belongs to be outside sort of the top 20 quarterbacks or maybe right in the fringe there. And it isn't one that I really want to target because he doesn't add a lot of rushing value. 
He's going to have to pick up a new offense quick. He's going to have to do. He's going to have to be better in terms of these things like on target throw and all those those types of elements. To, to see a, a ceiling outcome for him is tough without the you know the 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 rushing ability. If I have a, a passer that I think is sort of this level of passer uh, in an offense that I think is probably not going to be a really high scoring offense, then it's in a much easier bet if there's some rushing equity involved, like a Daniel Jones or something. Like I'm not super excited about Daniel Jones either. And I probably would say Baker Mayfield's the better passer of the two, but Daniel Jones giants could be a little more interesting with Brian Dable offensively has some, some talent around him and add some rushing ability. And so that, you know, there's a, I don't, I don't know where their ADPs will wind up, but I imagine those guys will go somewhat close to each other. And for me, it's like, I want to take the bet on the guy that can actually run a little bit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What about um, Seattle, though? Because we were, you know, there was a there was a chance that they could improve the quarterback situation. We were talking about that. I've talked a little bit about DK Metcalf and the way that his targets per out run rose last year into a really strong range, especially at his average depth of target, which is a lot higher. His efficiency fell off for his first two seasons. He was a very efficient player on a per target basis. I should say his yardage efficiency because his TDs were still strong last season. There's a lot of concern, obviously that he no longer has Russell Wilson. And yet for a good chunk of last year, he didn't have Wilson or was playing with a pretty clearly still injured Russell Wilson, who wasn't really necessarily throwing as good a ball as we saw a lot more missed throws from Russell Wilson down the stretch than, than we were familiar with. I think Metcalf's rise in targets per out run last year is going overlooked a little bit. And the fact that he was pretty good, largely because of TDs, but pretty good despite not being a really high yards per target guy already, which is sort of what the ex expectation should be with the quarterback change, that he's not going to be a super efficient yards per target guy. But, I mean, he's going into the fifth round in a lot of drafts now. He was a second rounder last year and finished as something like wide receiver 11, I want to say. I don't I don't have that in front of me. But, like, finished in, in a strong range, even despite, again, Russ being hurt and some of those elements. The TDs probably have to regress. But he's such a big physical player that we would expect him to, you know, to be able to create some stuff on his own. Teams can probably try to double team him a little bit, but they've not brought in no Fant. They have Tyler Lockett. It's a condensed target tree. There's three guys that are good, and it's also condensed. There's not a ton of other 
weapons there. There wouldn't seem to be a lot standing in the way of DK Metcalf getting a lot of targets in the second halves of games where they're potentially losing. So even without adding Baker Mayfield, I'm like, I don't think he can be a top 10 receiver probably, but I'm still like a little bit shocked at where he's going. It is surprising. I, I think that we're in all likelihood going to get even better prices now because that path to a different quarterback has closed. You talk about what he did last season and 12 touchdowns, right? Despite the quarterback play not being quite what we would like. And so there are both positives and negatives of that. We think in terms of, well, it's, it's going to be difficult for him to meet that. And yet at the same time, you think about who DK Metcalf is and during the height of 2020 before defenses figured them out and figured them out in the same way that they have forced you know some of the other high-flying teams to adjust and those teams have done it the seahawks didn't the seahawks just collapsed right but dk metcalf was up to the wide receiver one in dynasty i mean the, the overall top guy and you see what he's done now within the context of an offense that has been poor and it's still very encouraging last season he has this 27 percent target share tyler lockett there at 24 percent Locker, Lockett's still just you know crazy efficient in terms of yardage, where despite being targeted more than two yards down the field, he also, further down the field, he also had a much better racer. These guys both end up with over 1550 air yards for the season, but Lockett's someone who I think has a lot more risk for the poor quarterback play than Metcalf does. We kind of had mentioned jokingly, you can pull up the game splits app and see that Metcalf scored more points with Geno Smith. He can pull up the AYA tool. And so for the 331 passes he got from Russell Wilson and 9.3 adjusted yards per attempt, that's obviously good, but it's maybe still not as good as you might think for how you know dominant Russell Wilson has been and the threat that DK Metcalf offers. And his 22 passes last year from Geno, and again, this is just you know, sort of mentioned for the hilarity of it, but over 15 adjusted yards per attempt there's no way you're going to think that he does that next season but i also think that he's a fine mix with smith now if you go down to drew lock then maybe that's a different story we watched how Cortland sutton just you know flailed about for an entire season trying to really do anything with lock because the passing from him the passing last year unfortunately from teddy bridgewater so poor that's something that we have to consider that it could get to be that bad and then the other thing ben that you and i talked about a little bit before the show is that the Seahawks ran the fewest plays in the NFL last year, despite one being one of the fastest teams in second to snap, they faced the most plays against And both of these by such a wide margin that their golf in <laughs> plays run versus plays faced is almost unfathomable. You also then think back to, well, how will this offense be run if the quarterback play is not there and again you can pull all these up on the nfl pace tool and see the specifics break it down by game environment but 2018 to 2019 those two seasons immediately before the year where they tried to air it out and did so somewhat successfully in the first half not the second half but in neutral game script for those two seasons only baltimore was less pass heavy Right. So we're talking about, and this is something that you mentioned on, on the show recently for, for the Ravens, which is that their overall passing rate 
as you work through your projections was just astronomically low coming into what they did last year. And that's a little bit of a red flag for what they'll do this year because they've given a lot of indications that while they may not go back to this sub 50% pass rate, which is just insane (laughs) in the modern NFL, that it could drop back substantially. When you're talking about Seattle throwing at a 48% clip in neutral game script across 2018 and 2019, and just barely over 50% overall. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that probably is not going to be in neutral script as often as a lot of other teams are probably going to be trailing. That may force them to throw. But we know that the reason that they drafted Ken Walker is that they want Walker and Penny to be what drives this team. Even if you have a very condensed target share beyond that, which is what we expect from Metcalf, Lockett, and Fant, the fact that Fant is actually very, very good and has drawn raves uh, in the offseason supposedly he's been their best player during the offseason i think that lockett will drop i think the Fant will take a lot of that but he could also make a little bit of an encourage incursion into metcalf's target share but then you know as anybody who's drafted seahawks in the past you're so reliant on those long touchdowns for tyler lockett the big plays for dk metcalf the play volume here could end up just being pretty tragic and then you know, if they're trailing by a lot in the fourth quarter, you might have garbage time. But I don't know that Geno, Geno Smith and Drew Locke are exactly the quarterbacks who could take advantage of it in the way that I'm somewhat optimistic that someone like Justin Fields might take advantage of it over there in Chicago. Yeah, that's well put. I think, and and those are, you know, concerning elements for sure. I think the one thing that as you talk through the play volume and everything that I just would like to emphasize in terms of a positive thing is, Again, that 2021 was not good in Seattle. They ran so, so few plays. And the quarterback play was, you know, they did get a part partial season of Russell Wilson, which means that the quarterback play overall was better than what they'll get this year, almost certainly. But they ran so few plays, and there's these other factors. You, you know, you talked about garbage time and all that. that when you looked back at 2018 and 2019, they won 10 and 11 games in those seasons. Their their Vegas win total right now is 5.5. So you would expect them to be in pass situations a lot more, even if it's not just strictly garbage time. Maybe it's just early in the second half. I do agree with you that they're going to be a run first team, even despite that. But to the extent that we can be wrong on these types of team level things sometimes, and, and that's a big lesson that I've had over the last several years doing projections is that, you know, I get too confident in that stuff sometimes and miss, and it can be pretty huge on a team level. It seems like everyone is very confident the Seahawks are going to run very few passes and be run heavy as a bad team, which is a very specific type of thing. It's like, you know, it reminds me of the John Fox Bears, how they used to be bad but would still run. And I used to make fun of John Fox and stealing signals years ago, how he was still run heavy, even though they were terrible. And, and that's probably what Pete Carroll is but we haven't really seen a really bad Seattle team before. And to the extent that we can be wrong, almost everything seems to be moving in the same direction where they could just run more plays. They could be a little bit pass heavier than we expect, even though they did invest in a running back and they do seem to be very run heavy, but more, more importantly, all of those things move towards more passes overall. The market expectation seems to be very locked into this low level outcome that may be very likely, but that, you know, you basically can't get worse then. And so I, I don't know. I'm just looking at that. And I'm, and I'm also looking at, like you said, Metcalf scoring 12 touchdowns last year. 
and it was already a bad situation in 2021. He ended up having a pretty good year. We already have evidence of how he can still be good enough to be relevant in an offense that runs so few plays and, and doesn't actually perform particularly well, doesn't score a lot of points, has opponents running 25% more plays than them over the course of a whole season, which is just absolutely absurd. If any of the team level stuff does shift back favorably for Seattle, just because of you know game situations or whatever, then I do think DK has some some paths to, to pretty comfortably beating his current cost, which is just sort of baking in this team situation being absolutely horrible for him. And one of the things that we continue to see and you know saw all the way back to Marvin Harrison is you don't have to be Calvin Johnson or Julio Jones or Andre Johnson to be a very dynamic wide receiver in the NFL. Obviously, Cooper Cup didn't exactly come out of nowhere, but he came out of a role that people were not expecting him to have that type of explosion or even really have any type of pathway to it to, to play sort of an Antonio Brown, again, another smaller receiver, score all of those points. You don't have to be the hulking behemoth. And yet, if there's a player in the NFL right now who is the Calvin Johnson or the Julio Jones, I mean, DK Metcalf is the guy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the physicality is a, is a different a different animal for sure. I mean, it's a it's a weapon where, like we we're, like were talking before the show, saying I, I have this weird hunch that Tyler Lockett's going to get banged up this year and probably miss some time and maybe miss more time than expected. Total oddball hunch don't even put any weight on that whatsoever but he's been banged up before and if he doesn't have russ and if the efficiency and some of those things aren't going well i just i don't know doesn't i don't feel comfortable picking lockett and maybe i'm way wrong on that but as you talked about he's been very very efficient as the driver of his success over the years and i do completely agree with your comment that the quarterback switch is more of an, a concern for him but you say he were to miss some time or if he did, or if maybe no Fant misses some time or something, DK Metcalf probably draws more double teams, but also from a physicality perspective, that might not matter. They might still be able to throw deep to him into, you know, a safety rolling over. And he is, it's just not, it's not easy with the current rules as well. The ways that the, the DBs have to play these guys, he's just bigger and stronger and faster than everyone that's going to defend him. And so that, I mean, not not the only thing that matters, like you said, but it is, I think, at least somewhat relevant when we talk about, you know, him being, him starting to really slide. And you're talking about this guy can be just an absolute difference maker from a physical perspective, even if the quarterback plays not great, all of that stuff. And I've never been a huge DK Metcalf fan. I mean, he's a guy that the last couple of years I did not take a lot of. Uh, you and I and, and Colm did a team a couple of years together. Uh together a couple of years ago and I pushed us off DK Metcalf when you guys both kind of wanted to take him and that ended up being pretty costly for us but I'm coming back around this year to thinking that I think he's a pretty smart pick and Noah Fant offers some of those same upside scenarios at a very very cheap price I was concerned that he would start to get more expensive if they got a Baker Mayfield and I guess there's still a possibility that they could get a Jimmy Garoppolo but now Fant is going to be locked in at a very, very inexpensive price level. I think you can really only beat that where he's going. So I almost like the fact there that he's not getting the QB play because you have someone who, yeah, has he put up huge numbers with the Broncos? No, but he was dealing with quarterback play that was already Drew Locke, that was already Teddy Bridgewater, that was already uh, players who were beaten out by those guys <laughs> where the team felt like Teddy Bridgewater would be an upgrade and so 
that, that's just a very similar point to the one I was making. And I think broadly sort of overarching the market, we're always playing the market and the market reacts to expectations. But when these guys start going well below what they've actually been able to produce, even just because they're in a bad situation, even though they've produced in bad situations prior, that's where I get confused. I completely agree with you on Fant too. And he's been a good enough tight end to justify taking him where he is right now in the past, but we're, doing the same thing as you know what we've been talking about with Seattle's offense and their play volume and everything and saying well he can't be good in Seattle but I mean you go back to his rookie year he had a couple of he had some huge yak numbers he had a couple of short passes that he took for long touchdowns there's no reason he can't do a couple of things like that throughout a season he's also a very good athlete we're we're downgrading him based on expectations for 2022 when his situation hasn't been much better in the past like you were saying it's an overreaction It'll be interesting to see, again, how the late ADPs for tight ends work out. If you're adding that third tight end in best ball, then you probably either don't have one of the elite guys, which limits you, and so you're looking for upside, or you have some, and the only reason that you would take a third tight end would be to get that potential week 16, week 17 spike. You may be thinking that from that perspective, a tight end or any player tied to one of the NFL's weakest quarterbacks isn't the way to play it. And so that tension, I think, is interesting. It's impossible not to think back to some of the specific things that have happened in your own play. And, and one of the things last year for DJ Moore uh, as a relevant player in this discussion is that he did not put up the points in week six, 17 then to get into that starting lineup, whereas Noah Fant uh, with the late touchdown does score the big points. We know Noah Fant can score even and uh, put up that big game even with poor QB play. Very true. Let's wrap this up by talking about the Browns for a minute. We talked a lot about Deshaun Watson and the very serious allegations surrounding him. It sounds like there's a possibility he's going to be suspended for the entire year. It, I don't think anyone was really expecting Baker Mayfield to be the quarterback in Cleveland. That bridge seemed to have been burned. But now we're looking like we're more locked into – a pretty significant chance, I think, of, you know, Jacoby Brissett for the majority of the year. Maybe they end up getting a Jimmy Garoppolo or somebody. I mean, we're not really clear, but how are you viewing the Browns receivers now that Baker's definitely gone? There's still so much uncertainty with Watson, but I mean, do you think there's a chance they could land somebody like a Garoppolo? Let's put it that way. Yeah, we'll have to see what the options really are as we get a little bit closer and we get a sense of where everyone is what contracts who would eat what and how that would fit into their salary cap situation as well if they want to bring someone on who's actually a pretty good player one of the reasons why they didn't want mayfield is because it would be such a distraction but in some ways if you've basically sold the entire franchise to deshaun watson and you're now thinking in terms of 2023 then your ideal scenario much like the seahawks probably is just to finish more or less last and it's embarrassing but it's going to be embarrassing either way and so from that perspective you know maybe they just go with Brissett. they let some of these running backs go we talked in our previous episode in terms of the pitfalls of projections about some of the guys who are kind of borderline dead zone and then full dead zone players and one of the running backs there nick chubb who looks like someone who is a solid pick not a good pick 
but not a disastrous pick in full PPR. His price in some of the half PPR leagues is a little bit difficult to understand, even for someone who never drafts him. I think that he could be looking at a huge volume now when a lot of the expectation when we when we were looking at Deshaun Watson is that this team becomes not necessarily pass heavy, but goes in a way that it makes it difficult for Chubb and Hunt and Ernest Johnson to all work out and really just get the volume that you would need, especially if they're going to split the high value touches as well in a way that's not very beneficial for some of the top guys. But you look at Chubb there, he's interesting. You look at where Hunt has fallen to at this point, and he becomes interesting again, just purely from a talent perspective with these players. And then if there is some kind of trade that happens with the two or three running back, I think that those guys become interesting in a variety of scenarios because of the talent. And you look at you know what those guys have done you know, as three of the best after contact runners in the entire NFL. Now, some of that is going to be set up by the fact that if you're, you know, have one guy around you and you're breaking the tackle versus six guys around you, <laughs> kind of breaking the tackle, we know that their offensive line has played well in stretches and has gotten them into the secondary where if you beat the linebacker there, both through and then you can really go. And these guys create some big plays. You know, is that going to be the situation if Jacoby Brissett is the guy? But I guess at this point, Ben, I'm not, I'm not really seeing a path for them to throw in a way that's successful. We talked last year about the game uh, toward the end of the season where the Cowboys made this big point that they were going to show that Amari Cooper was still good and they gave him all the targets. And, you know, he does score a touchdown. He does put up some points. But the end result of that was that they realized that it wasn't getting CD Lamb involved in the way they wanted. It wasn't allowing him to emerge. And then in the playoffs, I mean, they really put a lot of that playoff loss on Amari Cooper and the idea that he's going to go to this Browns offense without Deshaun Watson and be playable at all is very difficult for me to understand. I mean, he's just not the same guy that he was. So then you're looking at David Bell and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Peoples-Jones benefited from all those great Baker Mayfield bombs. If that play isn't there, then where is the value for him? David Bell, we love, but it may now be 2023 because if the passing volume drops again and if Amari Cooper is the person that they try and play through first, you have a deep threat in Peoples Jones. It just it's difficult to see how any of these guys in the short run in the passing game are going to be able to pay off, even at ADPs that aren't that expensive. Yeah, definitely. I'm not I I I can't get in on Amari at this point. Um it's a very probably minor thing in the overall discussion, but he's been a lot better on turf and in domes and, and, and things throughout his career as well than he has been on grass. Maybe that's just because when he was, you know, in Oakland and some things were going bad, that was the tough parts of his career, but far more efficient when playing uh, on our artificial surfaces, even like a much higher catch rate, which I think is really interesting. Way more efficient yards per target, all of those types of things. So Creating that's separation. Yeah, maybe it's just the way that he runs his routes and things. And so now he's also playing in Cleveland on grass. It can get windy there. We saw some pretty windy games late in the year last year in Cleveland. And you don't really have great quarterback play. It just doesn't feel like a great recipe where I want to, even at a low price, where I want to be making a bet on a guy who I already probably was inclined not to be on is getting older and looks like he maybe isn't the same player as he used to be. We like to target some of the younger guys, certainly. So I'm, I am I have not been able to find the the interest in Amari. I still kind of want to be in on David Bell because I just think that he could be a guy who just earn a lot of volume, especially if Amari is not performing particularly well. 
but that's a late flyer that I'm getting less interested in. The one guy that's super interesting, and you were talking a little bit about the running game, is Nick Chubb. And you said you, you're getting interested in him. I, I just started my first main event draft. He was there in the middle of the third. We hadn't taken a running back yet. We ended up going receiver, but I was never really had an opportunity to draft Nick Chubb because I've always felt he was very overvalued relative to the potential that he has as a receiver and 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 in terms of high value touches and what he's actually going to bring in terms of upside because they don't ever really go all the way to him. And we got that basically confirmed last year that even when Kareem Hunt was banged up and those things, Chubb didn't play all the snaps. He didn't get the receiving work. He's pretty clearly typecast in this offense. And yet we talk a lot about talent and caring about talent. And Nick Chubb is a player who I feel very comfortable saying is in the top tier of pure runners in the NFL. He's right there with Jonathan Taylor. Maybe he's to include Derrick Henry. I mean, I don't know who else you would take as a pure runner over Nick Chubb. So it's not a great bet for fantasy in terms of the ways that they've always used him. And that's always been the deal with him. But you start to get him at a certain price, late third round, early fourth round. I do feel like his floor and his pretty clearly demonstrated ability to handle work and be efficient and be very good is at a certain point worth taking. And it's almost like a floor play at running back, which is not the type of play that I want to make usually, but I'm very confident in this guy's ability as a, as a, like a truly elite running back. It's very weird to have the opportunity to draft a, a really great pure rusher where Chubb is starting to fall now because of some of the concerns of the quarterback and the team and, and, how ingrained it has been that he's not going to get the receiving work and all of those things. I don't know. He, he feels like a, a better play to me in the third round than Derrick Henry in the first. He's the only back in the NFL other than Derrick Henry, who has averaged over three yards after contact per attempt in each of the last three seasons over the last two. He's also averaging more than two yards before contact per attempt. And so there are just so many different ways to cut it when you look at Nick Chubb, but really all you have to do is just watch him run. And he hits the hole and gets through the hole better than backs his size do. He breaks the tackles in the secondary the way almost no one can. And then he outruns the secondary guys who have the angle on him, at least to the extent where there are so many different ways for him to score for you and so many different ways even when yeah so you have the good offensive line but you also know that the defense is king specifically on him and even with that being the case he's elite and so you put him in this category with jonathan taylor and derrick henry where almost any time these guys touch the ball it's a high value touch because they could go 60 70 yards for the touchdown now obviously we're you know somewhat joking about that but the big playability and this is something that I broke down in more detail in my article earlier in the season about Jonathan Taylor, but the ability to create multiple big plays and at least have that in the range of outcomes for the top backs matters. Maybe you don't hit it and maybe he doesn't get to quite those numbers this season, but you want to be selecting players where from a full year perspective, you have a shot that they would go off for big yardage numbers, a number of big plays, touchdowns, but then also from that per game basis, you know, as we look more and more at tournaments and, and people get so excited about the big paydays involved there and just sort of how you play them and this focus on week 17 and all of those types of things. It can sometimes get lost that you also want players like specific guys who, because of their talent level could go off for a massive game that week. Nick Chubb is the kind of guy who could do it. 
for sure. Yeah, I mean, just pulled up his career log. I mean, you were talking about how he's had three yards after contract each of the last three years and two yards before each of the the past two. So it doesn't take a lot of math to recognize that he's averaged over five yards a carry in both of those seasons. He's averaged over five yards per carry in all four of his NFL seasons. That's really, really good. He has at least eight rushing TDs in all four of his seasons, even though he only played 12 and 14 games the last couple of years. You know, he's getting his touchdowns as well. Right between 88 and 93 rushing yards per game each season over the last three years. I mean, if you're going to get 90 rushing yards a game and eight touchdowns and you feel pretty comfortable about that and you think there's also still upside, you know, (laughs) he's certainly never done much as a receiver, but he can't do less. And there's this potential that he eventually does a little bit more. I mean, Derrick Henry last year, before his injury was finally starting to do a little bit more as a receiver. I mean, it's just one of these things where when the guy's this good and you said there's so many ways we can cut it, there are there's upside because of that. There's a, there's upside for the long touchdowns, like you said. So at a certain point, I'm probably going to be pretty excited to get him, or maybe not necessarily excited, but willing to take him as an anchor running back when I go with zero RB in the first two rounds and he's sitting there at 310. I mean, I, I can totally see making that pick and then continuing to just hammer a receiver and everything else and being comfortable that maybe his ceiling isn't quite as high for fantasy, but yet I don't know that there's another running back that I can feel more comfortable with the floor than Chubb. I mean, other than the guys that are the absolute premier players, certainly in the range where he goes. And it's just, it is weird because I'm not, I'm typically never going to aim it, aim it floor, but I, I've, I've certainly started to consider it with him. And you look at some of the other players who, even though they have a more well-rounded EP profile, the total expected points are going to be in a similar range. Now there are some guys there where if a teammate injury were to happen, their total EP profile would jump. And so then you have the league winning outcome. I don't really see that with Chubb based on how the Cleveland backfield plays out. But if you had a trade and then you had an injury, perhaps you would, especially in half PPR, just you know, such a compelling pick. At the price, we talk all the time about wanting to get these players who are stars, but not trendy. Obviously, the flip side of that is we want to avoid the trendy players who are pretty clearly not stars. But then we had a chance to go over the the Cleveland Browns. We knew they were losing Baker Mayfield, but we didn't know exactly where he would go. It turns out it is the Carolina Panthers. We have some enthusiasm for that, although mitigated at least slightly by his actual play. This isn't a superstar they're bringing in. And then we've also discussed your Seattle Seahawks, who I think 2023, they're going to come back. <laughs> That's the all, all guns blazing. Going to be a, a out of nowhere Super Bowl contender that season. So that'll do it for this episode of Ceiling Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Make sure you sign up for Ceiling Signals. I know you heard him in the intro talking about how fired up he is for these next couple months and then going through December, January in this full NFL season, the best time of the year. If you want to join us over at Rotoviz, you can do that using the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. Get a 10% discount on a one-year subscription. And obviously with that, all of the research, projections, rankings, zero RB list, the tools for this coming season. So join us there subscribe to the feed we have some bonus episodes that'll be coming out in the next couple months you'll want to get those when they release leave us a rating and review you guys have been so great with that we'll chat with you soon
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.